Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Roisin. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to Yonic Boom, the podcast hosted by three deadly feminist midwives discussing women's reproductive and sexual health. Hi. 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 Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. We say that at the start of every episode now. I've missed you guys. <laughs> it's good to be back. We're here all weekend. Whoop, whoop. Getting a few Most in the bag. Yep, yeah, getting a few in the bag. Getting some episodes <laughs> locked down. In the in the podcasting sense, Roshi, in the recording sense. Thank you for that. Getting a few in the bag. <laughs> so, how are you all? We're good. How are you? Great. Good. So, what are we talking about today? Um, so we're carrying on in our chronological format. So our last, uh, well, actually, our last episode was their kind of bonus episode about Irish National Breastfeeding Week, wasn't it? Yeah. But yep. the one before that was uh, first trimester and early pregnancy. So uh, this episode, we're going to focus on second and third trimester. Brilliant. We are. Yeah. Well, at least that's what we've prepared. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we are. Who knows where this That's all I have. <laughs> Um, and uh, Roshin, you're going to kick us off with some news? Um, I am. There's was a lot going on this week, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me, in terms of news. Um, I don't know if people would have heard about the Embrace report before. Um, so this is an independent review that's pu- published by a research unit um, based in the UK. And basically it is to... Uh-huh. Let me tell you now. But the Irish numbers are sent over yes. to be included in it. So up until 2015, I think, mm-hmm. Ireland wasn't included in these statistics. And then um, maybe they start, we started sending over yeah. our information. So basically, Embrace is uh, mothers and babies reducing risk through audits and confidential inquiries across the UK and Ireland. So basically what their whole aim is, like lessons learned to inform maternity care from mm-hmm. previous years what's happened so what they issue every it's comes out years? every three years three years yeah comes out on the third year for the previous two years two years yeah. yeah um is what they've learned from um kind of case studies mm-hmm. of women's pregnancies and they look into like causes of maternal deaths causes of maternal uh, morbidity causes of neonatal deaths mm-hmm. that kind of thing and mm-hmm. then they use that information to kind of inform how to plan care going forward like what do we need to address so like number of years ago it would have been um very prominent that flu was a leading cause of death for pregnant women and so they really tried to drive flu vaccination in pregnancy for that and kind of really address that um blood clots in in pregnancy in the postnatal Mm -hmm. period Mm -hmm. would have been another big one that they've really targeted Mm by um initiatives to get like uh women risk assessed for their uh like risk for developing blood clots and that but this week, Embrace had to announce that they were delaying their publication mm. because of the UK general election. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't Very it? Very suspicious. So there was a lot of people. And Embrace, of course, we did mention them before when we were talking about um, Black Mamas Matter. Yes. So yeah. Embrace are the people who so that would released have been the, the report. Yeah, 2015 to 2017 report would have said... Yeah that black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth 
than um, white women than white women yeah. and Asian women twice as likely yeah um, and actually an interim report released at some stage this year had the same findings yeah that that hasn't changed since 2015 which is shocking really absolutely um, but basically they've just said that the report was due to be published on the 14th of November and that it has been delayed by NHS England due to the general election, which has been called for the 12th of December. We are not allowed to publish our report until a new government is formed, which will be on the 13th of December at mm. the earliest. Mm. So a lot of people on Twitter and social media were questioning why an independent review body mm. yeah. would be stopped from publishing a report, because the therefore making it political. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like how could that kind of impact a general election and surely knowing what's going right and wrong in maternity care yeah. is important for people to be able to ask of their politicians, like, what are you going to do about this? Mm. But that's kind of being withheld. And I suppose it's hard to deny that the findings of the report are political when you look at something like systemic racism causing women to lose their lives more black women more than white women Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 100% but I suppose it's frightening to think that now we don't know exactly what's been going right and wrong in our maternity care for the last number of years that we're basically operating off of slightly old data and hoping that we're not missing something really mm. important the same mistakes. Yeah, yeah because we do mm. we learn lessons with every report that comes out yeah yeah and I suppose it points as well to um the other kind of scandalous thing that came out of the UK this week which was the Shrewsbury and Telford NHS mm. trust scandal um which is very much in its infancy of being reported but basically that it would be very similar um, to the Morecambe Bay scandal Mm. which I think we've mentioned before which was a trust in the NHS that had significant um, kind of clinical failings Mm -hmm. from 2004 to 2013 which led to some maternal and infant deaths and now in Shrewsbury and Telford um, they're basically saying that this um, kind of lack of learning and poor clinical decision making has been going on for 40 years God. from 1979 to current day mm. and initially a midwifery expert was asked to review only 23 cases mm-hmm. but actually uh, uh, as a sidebar to this the NHS knew that more was going on and had identified a minimum of 326 cases that what? needed to be looked at so and could many. be up to 600 Jesus. cases <gasps> Now, those weren't necessarily all maternal or infant deaths, obviously. There were confirmed avoidable deaths of 42 infants. This is going back to 1979, not that that justifies it at all, and three mothers. And then evidence in the other 600 cases of poor care, (sighs) including about almost 100 other cases that have led to brain damage in infants. So it's massive. That's yeah, massive. That is huge. And obviously this midwifery to... expert has been totally limited in her scope of her review of the 23 cases. Yes. So she has known that this has been bigger since about May of this year, it would seem like from what's been reported. But that information is not being provided to her. So she feels like she can't issue a proper report, report mm. saying what's what the failings are in this trust absolutely clearly it kind of speaks to a much more systemic problem in the nhs and in maternity care kind of globally that something is going wrong here that the 
these things keep happening that we're failing to learn and look back and change what we're doing and so like embrace reports would be massively significant at a time like this 100 percent also weirdly the same week that these two things happened the NMC in the UK which is their like professional regulatory nursing and midwifery council board thank you um, published new future midwife guidelines um, basically about um, what is going to be needed from future midwives for midwifery to be as proficient as it can possibly be mm. um, and basically the World Health Organization has stated that strengthening midwifery education is a key step to improving quality of care and reducing maternal and newborn mortality and morbidity and these guidelines were, have been issued after a massive consultation process involving midwives service users advocacy, advocacy groups and a really good um, kind of demonstration of how broad in knowledge and skill safe midwifery care is and I just thought it was really interesting how juxtaposed that was that like how the potential of that future midwifery proficiency could have when we're not being given the full opportunity to learn from our mistakes by not getting these other two reports properly in full yeah yeah so Very that interesting. Was what's out in the news? What to keep Lots your ears yeah. and eyes peeled for if you're interested and in looking for info? Yes, thank you. And we had a couple of shout outs, yeah. I think, to do. Yeah. Um, we wanted to thank at Sandy Dula for featuring us as a post on her Instagram. Yeah. Um, her words were very, very kind and we really appreciate the support. Yes, thank and you. And Tara. And a shout out to Michelle from Pure Filth um, Podcast. If you don't already listen to Pure Filth, it is a fantastic sex positive podcast. And um, I guested on that talking about your raunchy star turn yeah (laughs) talking about sex and pregnancy and kind of sex life post baby and yeah it was really it was really good fun it was really good Uh, i really enjoyed brilliant it's a good it's It's a really good good, it's a really good podcast i really enjoyed doing it it was a bit of a laugh I, i did listen but i forget did you talk about your burlesquing in it no i jesus now i now i've drawn a blank and i've listened to it as well I think I'm she not did. Sure. Maybe I did. Talk about her burlesquing. Maybe I, I don't know. We've mentioned it. She's here wearing a pair of pasties. Tara <laughs> did burlesque, just in case anyone. Just was in case anyone. Not clear was, on that. Yeah. Um, She's wearing her tracksuit bottoms like and my a claim, pair like, of pineapple I'm, pasties. Yeah. <laughs> sitting there. I'm like clinging to that as the one cool thing that I've done in my life. I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's yeah, it. Pretty that's much. It. I know. That's it. But uh, yeah, no, it was really good fun, and um, yeah, it was good. And give give Pure Filth a listen, and thank you again, Michelle. It was great. And if you ever uh, want me to come on the show again, I would love that. I'd be delighted. She'd love to come on and talk about raccoon butt plugs. <laughs> <laughs> no further oh. follow up questions. <laughs> Um, yeah, brilliant. Okay, so will we get into the uh, into the midwifery into bit? the bits, into the midwifery bits. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to talk about um, the second trimester. So it's obviously there's kind of loose definitions, but typically it's um, known as second trimester is from weeks 13 to 28 inclusive. 
So typically this is when you should start to feel a little bit better. Um, your energy levels should start to increase and the initial nausea and extreme tiredness from the first trimester should be starting to wear off. Um, it's kind of an exciting time in pregnancy as well because I suppose your bump is growing, you're starting to look kind of visibly pregnant. Um, you come out of that fat phase. You come out of that. You're saying that to me. <laughs> oh, you don't just look fat anymore. You look pregnant now. Yeah, Tara. you look kind of <laughs> so true. I'm pretty sure I used um, much more positive language. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's no fat phobia here. No, there's definitely not. Um, but it does. It does change yeah. from be, you know your shape does start to change. Exactly. Yeah. And you kind of. I suppose you. I think I also told you you look less kind of (laughs) wishy-washy, more healthy. The glow, the pregnancy glow starts to emerge. So um, people also can start experiencing uh, an increase in their sex drive. This is due to hormonal changes and increased blood flow to your pelvic organs. So the maternal changes are um, growing uterus, growing bump, as a result, then you're going to see some skin changes. So stretch marks can start to appear and um, certain areas can start getting a bit darker. You can have your nipples can turn a little bit darker and um, the line on your belly button as well from your belly button down. Um, I was going to say, I literally was meant to say towards your nether regions. <laughs> <laughs> I've never used that expression in my life. So down from below? Your, from your, yeah, from That's your, what she uh, says to women in work all the time. From your own belike to, um, to down get below. Get your nether regions. Your nether there. regions. <laughs> if you could expose your nether regions, please. <laughs> I just, I need to examine your undercarriage. Um, and <laughs> increased energy. Sorry, we're a bit hyper. Um you're going to start to feel your baby moving for the first time Um, and I suppose you're going to start to develop some new pregnancy symptoms other things that can happen is um, so due to kind of a variety of changes in your cardiovascular uh, system your blood pressure which has been just started to lower from the first trimester will kind of be at its lowest in the second trimester so people would typically um, experience kind of more dizziness and lightheadedness around this time Um, other kind of not so nice things that can happen um, constipation, indigestion and um, kind of people may start to develop back pain. I'll kind of talk just a little when bit you're more about those things. <laughs> yeah, just when you're starting to feel kind of also you're getting the horn. The honeymoon phase. <laughs> the honeymoon phase, yeah. So the horn is coming back on but also you haven't done a poo in six days. <laughs> um, so it's an exciting and it's an emotional time. <laughs> And if there's one thing that's going to get that poo out, it's a good ride. <laughs> um, so it can be, I suppose, you know, there's nothing kind of more obvious than your bump growing. So, yeah. um, and there's kind of everything that goes along with that. So, you know, people will know you're pregnant and I suppose everyone will be talking to you about it. And it's kind of for a lot of people, it's the first time that they start to really think, OK, I'm actually having a baby. I'm going to become a mother. So that can be exciting. It can also be, you know, emotional as well for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of symptoms so I was talking about I mean I won't go into each thing specifically not you know some people unfortunately will get all of the symptoms some people will get one or two it's it really depends and they're all normal they're very common and there's lots of different things that you can do to alleviate them yeah 
Do you and know, which I don't if, think people if, realize. If you experience one thing on one pregnancy, it doesn't mean yeah. you're going to experience it on all of your pregnancies. And the vast majority of people have normal, straightforward, yeah. healthy pregnancies. And like there's stuff, I mean, so when we're talking about stuff, there's, you know, you can have a bit of heartburn, but then obviously there'll be some people who will be really afflicted with it. So yeah. it's not something that you have to just suffer through. Like if you're experiencing anything and you're kind of like, I don't really feel well, this isn't making me feel great. Talk to your midwife or your doctor at your antenatal visit. Um, this stuff has been happening since the dawn of time. So there's mm-hmm. lots of different tips and tricks that your midwife can give you to help alleviate symptoms. Yeah. You know, um, lots of stuff um, back pain, pelvic girdle pain as well. So the vast majority of all of these changes are due to um, hormones, basically. So everything in your system, the hormones kind of act, they kind of if you think they're kind of relaxing and softening everything. So as a result, your normal systems just don't function quite the way they used to. So yeah, kind of slow down a bit. Everything kind of slows down um, and your muscles as well, like they're everything is not as taut so then a growing bump on top of that is going to make things a little bit more uncomfortable and mm. um, so that's hormonal changes are kind of the main cause um, but as I say just I won't go into each thing you know we could be here we could do like five episodes on yeah on the changes different yeah. symptoms yeah. in pregnancy yeah. but just know that there are for most things there are like little things that you can do to help yourself feel better um, so in terms of fetal changes, it's a time of massive change. Um, there's so many different apps that go through the week by week, you know, yeah. and I think I don't know a single pregnant person who doesn't have an app. Um, I did hear a really good one and I need to find the name. Um, my friend Ruth and work was telling me her sister has one that says, uh, your baby is the size of the diamond, the heart of the ocean from Titanic. Okay, so it's not just a piece of fruit. And then another one was, your baby is the size of the amber rock on top of the walking stick in Jurassic Park. Wow. Very, very cool. Yeah, so... Okay, that's a good I one. I know, I know. I really want to know the name of it. So there's lots of different things. So there's loads of different things where you can follow your baby's um, progress. But basically, during this time, you're going to be able to know what sex your baby is. The baby's bones are hardening. The limbs are starting to move. Eyes are moving. Hearing develops. Your baby has fingerprints, hair, nails. All of the systems are developed. Um, and from... This is, you know, viability. When we talk about when a baby, when a fetus is viable, it's when that fetus has a chance of surviving outside of the womb. Mm. This is very much relative where you're, you know, to where you're born. So obviously, you know, viability um, here as opposed to in a developing country is very different. And and just generally on a case by case basis as well. Yeah. Like it's not, there's no clear cut. There isn't any clear cut. I mean, in Ireland, um, in hospitals which have kind of high support, high tech neonatal units, they would say kind of from 23 weeks. But obviously that's dependent on a variety of factors. Um, Unfortunately, like not every baby that's born at 23 weeks will, you know, survive. Um, But that is, I suppose, there's so many technological advances. But again, it depends on where you are. It depends on a variety variety of circumstances. We'll discuss... I know we say this every week, every time. But we have we a will lot of be plans. doing it. We, have a, lot we have a lot of plans. We will be discussing preterm birth more in depth um, in the future. But that, you know, I suppose I think it's important to mention it because it's 
it's that point you pass the point in pregnancy where you kind of think okay if my baby was born it has a chance of yeah. survival yeah. which yeah, is absolutely. a massive and it's, a psychologically, it's a big milestone yeah, yeah. and so it, it's worth mentioning i think what you were saying about um the developing countries and the availability of the um neonatal support it would be just important maybe for pregnant people in ireland to know that if your unit that you're going to have your baby in doesn't have that neonatal support and they think that you're going to have a high risk or a preterm delivery that they may transfer you yeah. to a unit that does have that neonatal yeah. support absolutely so that's not um uncommon to yeah. have that happen have that, yeah like you just can't it's 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 not feasible to have really specialist units yeah in and it can be really challenging and you can be far hospital. away from home and your family and mm, maybe your other yeah. children your partner but at the end of the day it's in an effort to you know secure as much safety and health and well-being for your new baby as possible absolutely so i mentioned there so second trimester one of the biggest things one of the kind of nicest things that people report is the onset of fetal movements so quickening quickening yes um so when you first start feeling movements depends so we would say to women that anywhere from 16 to 22 weeks is normal so if it's your first baby, you're more than likely not going to feel movements until approximately after the 18 week mark. Yeah, or even like or even, even later. 21. Yeah, like and we wouldn't if someone came in and they hadn't felt movements kind of even by week 22, we would if we wouldn't be massively concerned. Um, so it is very normal. Like there is a broad range, like 16 is the very earliest. And that's typically with people who've had other babies before because they know what that sensation is. Mm. So they kind of know they feel something they kind of say oh that's the baby you know starting to move so anything from 16 to 22 weeks um but as i say like first baby it is typically a bit later um so from the point where you start feeling movements um initially it's going to be irregular but then the movements are going to increase until 32 weeks and then from 32 weeks it's said that the pattern that your baby has is going to stay until your baby is born so some important things your baby you know which a lot of people um so there's a lot of talk about fetal movements and people are so people are really acutely aware and so the main things to say are you know we don't recommend that people count kicks um it's normal movement is based on your baby's normal pattern of movement and the only person that knows what the normal pattern is is you so you're Mm -hmm. the expert of your baby's movements and babies do not slow down at the end of pregnancy so they don't run out of space they continue to move and they'll keep with their same pattern and they should have little sleep cycles of kind of 20 to 40 minutes um, during the day usually no longer than 90 minutes they're not going to move during these times Mm -hmm. but then they will have like you know I suppose as the pregnancy goes on it will be like okay I get up I have my breakfast when I have my breakfast my baby moves or maybe your baby's more active in the evening so whatever you feel is normal for you for you that's and that's what you kind of have to go by um if you're not sure of the movement so I mean some days you can be really busy if you're busy it's reported that you're not going to be able to you know you can't can't kind of closely monitor you're not you know if you've had a really stressful day busy day you come home and you kind of think i'm not sure if my baby's been moving lie down have a cool drink lie down don't have your phone just focus 
if you're not feeling anything, get in touch with your maternity unit. Um, if you're thinking that the baby has been kind of slowing down over a period of a couple of days, you know, don't wait for another day you need to kind of go into the hospital and make sure everything is okay so depending on what stage of your pregnancy is at there will be different assessments but typically over 26 weeks we would do a CTG which is a tracing of your baby's heart and then we would do a scan to Mm. check the water around baby yeah Um, and the vast majority of times like when we meet people mm -hmm. that come in they come in to us and they've done all those things they've had the cool drink at home they've eaten eating packets of jellies or you know whatever Mm. it is that usually wakes their baby up and then they come in they see us we might put on the monitor and then next thing the baby's wide awake and everybody is relieved and then the person in the bed is usually going oh Oh my god I feel like such a worry I'm so sorry I'm wasting your time but you're not wasting anyone's time if you are genuinely worried about it. you are never ever ever wasting our time when you come in for that and even if you go home and you feel the exact same way the next day come back back in to us yeah exactly um everyone is always relieved when somebody comes with reduced fetal movements and, and everything normal. is fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, like I do think it's so important to stress. Don't feel like a Wally. Always come in if you're mm. worried. Um, like if you're sitting at home with a, f- a bad feeling and you think this doesn't seem right. Yeah. You know, you need to investigate yeah. it. I, I um, got a catchphrase you know I love a catchphrase (laughs) this is a theme um, which was like don't go to sleep on a quiet baby oh that's very good catchphrase did you invent that? no I got that from an obstetrician a few years ago I shall remain (laughs) remain nameless Um, you should you should have stolen that do they listen to the podcast? you totally should have claimed that we'll edit this (laughs) Um, but yeah, don't go to sleep on a quiet baby. If you're not sure, it doesn't matter if it's one o'clock or the, in the morning. Mm. Don't say I'll go in tomorrow. If you're not sure, just go in. Go in, exactly. Um, and, you know, yeah, so just it's much better to come in, confirm that everything is normal than to sit at home and ignore something that could be potentially serious. So there's, yeah. like, there's a number of reasons why your baby n- may not be moving as much. Um, Initially, in the early days, it can be positional and it could be the position of your placenta, but equally it could be that maybe there's something wrong and your baby is trying to reserve energy. And, you know, yeah, and I suppose it's important to know it's one of the questions midwives ask pregnant people Mm. all of the time as Mm. an indicator of your baby's wellness. So you should take that to heart when you're at home. If you're worried about your baby's movements, it's an indicator of your baby's wellness. So you should always come and make sure that your baby is still well. Yeah. If you're worried. Yeah. And on that note, um, it really has to be mentioned that it is really, really unadvisable to attempt to listen to your baby's heartbeat at home with a Doppler. Or an iPhone. Or an iPhone Doppler app. And there's like a home scanner now as well. Yeah, it's really concerning because it's concerning for a number of reasons. First of all, um, reduced, you know, a baby who isn't moving um, with just a heartbeat on a Doppler, that doesn't really tell us anything. You know? Yeah, it could be still an emergency situation. It could be Mm. like it's having the present heartbeat doesn't get you out of the woods Mm. necessarily. Sometimes it is all we need to know, but more often than not, we need to know how your baby's growing, how the fluid around your baby is, if it's reducing, increasing, what's going on. So there's a lot more involved in the assessment than just knowing that the heartbeat is there. And if the pregnant person herself may be unwell. 
yeah yeah in the whole in the whole scenario yeah um, and also it's kind of it takes you know it your ear needs to be trained basically to listen to a fetal heartbeat Properly. It's not something, yeah. you know, as when you're a midwifery student, it's one of the things that you learn and it takes a while. You have to tune in. There's a certain noise. And, you know, if you're not trained, my concern as well with using these kind of Dopplers on iPhones, is how is it discerning between the placental yeah. heartbeat or yeah know, well fetal. I suppose what people should know is if they're even attempting to use these things is that there's three things that you can hear when you push one of mm. these devices or a phone onto your pregnant stomach mm. you can hear your own heartbeat you can hear the flow of blood through your placenta or you can hear your baby's heartbeat and to an untrained ear you, you may don't not know. necessarily discern between those things no and you know, there's a reason why healthcare professionals are listening to your baby's heartbeat because we've been trained to know what sounds normal, mm. what rate mm. is normal and like that it's in the place that it should be and yeah. all of those kinds of things. So if you falsely reassure yourself at home by listening to the flow of blood through your placenta, you could be potentially, you know, extremely disappointed and upset when you mm. do attend a hospital appointment and find that your baby's heartbeat is not actually present mm. and that's not I suppose it kind of sounds very scary and you know it's not that you want to be scaring people but whenever anybody mentions Doppler I'm going to get home. a Doppler at home yeah. I'm just immediately like no it's, no. it's just so it's a bad idea on so many levels and also what's to say that you're not going to just be doing it all you know you're yeah, going to just yeah, become addicted yeah, to it yeah, and then you absolutely. kind of you tune out of the most important thing which is the movements yeah and the other thing I would say is it's a medical device yeah and medical devices need to be calibrated regularly to ensure that they're actually working effectively mm. Mm. so what you don't want is even if you do by chance happen to find your baby's heartbeat and listen to it that the device is actually giving you a false reading because it hasn't been calibrated yeah absolutely in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We could probably do a whole thing on Dopplers. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, don't yeah. buy a Doppler. Yeah. I feel, yeah, I mean. No, I feel, I, I feel very I'm sure strongly you both about feel, it. I think you yeah. both feel the same. Yeah. Um. So another big thing, another big investigation, which happens um in the second trimester is your anomaly scan, also known as your anatomy scan. So this typically happens between 18 to 22 weeks. It is a scan which is a head to toe assessment um, of your baby in uterus, in the uterus. So during this, the baby's head and face are examined. Um, also the brain, blood flow, um, heart, kidneys, spine, stomach and abdo, um, abdomen, sorry, limbs and um, the extremities. It looks at the fluid around your baby, the amniotic fluid, the placenta, where the placenta is, the umbilical cord. Um, so it's a very important scan to determine if there's any physical problems with your baby um, to make sure that the baby's growing correctly. And um, I think I said, yeah, to look where... So the main thing, obviously, to see where your placenta is. So at this scan... Um, if the placenta is seen to be lying low, you may need a follow-up scan after, which they usually do kind of around 34, 34 weeks yeah. or so, just to see if the placenta has moved up, the majority of which do. Um, so the majority of these scans are going to be normal, um, but sometimes obviously something will be picked up. So usually this will either be kind of lead to further scanning or in some cases um, further kind of tests, more invasive testing. So in this case, 
if you were in one of the major maternity hospitals, there'd be a fetal assessment unit that they'd be there to kind of guide you through everything, explain everything, and a fetal, you know, fetal medicine specialist. Yeah. If you're in a hospital um, which doesn't have this facility, you will be referred. So in Ireland, so I was trying to get the most recent stats on this um, and I could only kind of find figures from 2018. So from in 2017, only seven of the 19 maternity units were offering routine anomaly scans, mm, which shocking. is just so shocking. scary. Then obviously um, one of the major things to come out of the fact that, you know, we were lobbying for termination services was um, people were saying we cannot offer termination services in a country which where we're not routinely screening for yeah, anomalies, all pregnancies, all pregnancies. For yeah, it's part of the maternity strategy as well. So, fr- in 2018, that one. So, 14, but 14 units were then um, offering routine scans. So, I think potentially I stand to be corrected that there could be five units which aren't routinely offering. Um, although it must, you know, it should be noted that if they feel that you need one, you will get one or you will be referred. Mm. But I think it's really, really important if you're planning on where to have a baby that this is part of what you're looking for in a hospital. Um, yeah, and you should be asking and the you unit be, you're attending why you can't have why one. Why I can't yeah. ha- will I be Will I be having an anomaly scan? Um, so one of the things that obviously is massive is um, the private scan industry in Ireland because people love a scan. People love people a scan. People love a scan and they love paying lots of money for scans. It's a money pit, isn't it? It is. It's unbelievable. And so one thing... Um, you know, because when I when you think back 2017, seven out of 19 units, it's really scary. Yeah. Um, if you think about the amount of people that would have been going off and paying for their 4D scan, their gender reveal scan, <laughs> and it's like, take your money. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to talk to Roisin about this in a minute. So it's like, to, if you are in a unit that doesn't do anomaly scans. Yeah. And you're thinking about getting another scan. Get a, buy an anomaly scan. It's the same price. It's more valuable. Finding out what, you yes. know, that the structure all of your baby structures and systems are working is far more valuable than seeing your baby's face you know like a 4D picture of your baby's face I know but Um, again then like such a two-tiered system it's so so, unfair yeah it's kind of I was reading an article um, someone from Quidu was talking about it and it's like you know it's a postcode lottery yeah yeah, you know where. But I don't think that the people who don't have access to routine anomaly scans are necessarily the people who are paying for additional scans either. Yes. No, no that's the thing. Yeah. Not. Like, yeah. Yeah. how yeah. many people do we meet attending major maternity units in Dublin who yeah. are paying for three, four, mm. five more scans yeah. during their pregnancy that essentially they don't need to have because they already have the opportunity yeah. to know that their baby is safe and well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but sure, you can spend your money whatever way you like. Absolutely. There's a big, yeah, you can. There's people so out there willing to take it anyway. That people is. are totally willing to take it. Yeah. Um, so one of the big ones is, so you get you do your gender reveal scan, okay? So I was looking up the prices, do my research. So €115 Euro 
Okay. okay. We'll tell you, you know, you're going to get some images, maybe mm-hmm. some zoomed in shots of your baby's genitals. You know how to, <laughs> and then, um, so either you can have like one of the places was like, so you can bring five people. Okay. Um, Holy fuck. Yeah. So like you have a kind of your little mini oh, gender. Oh, so you're doing like your gender reveal party well, in the, the scan room. Scanner. Yeah. So you do that. That's Ooh. maybe if you want to do a low key one. And then mm. obviously if you want to go full. Full insta. Balls to the wall. And kill someone with a plane. You do. <laughs> You get mm-hmm. a balloon, which costs 25 euros. So you get a black balloon and it has pink confetti if, if it's a girl, blue if it's a boy, and then you give it to a trusted friend and then you go home and you throw your own party. Now, I'm sorry, I'm actually, I'm saying this, I'm not, and I don't mean to be Can like I laughing ask? at people. I don't mean, because I know it's each to their own. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it is, but it's not my scene. It's certainly not Roshi's scene. Yeah. Well, it's extremely problematic for many reasons. Yes, I yeah. would agree. Like, first and foremost, it's totally privileged because if you can't afford to get your gender reveal scan, you don't get to have that celebration in your life. Yeah. So it's totally privileged in a like capitalistic way mm. to people yeah. who can get their hands on the money. Well, yeah. Or people are putting themselves at a total imposition in mm. order to afford it. Yeah. And going without something else because they've been led to believe that this is of some level of importance. Mm-hmm. When your baby is coming out one sex or the other yeah it's the other thing it's a, it's a sex, sex reveal scan yeah, yeah. not a gender yeah. reveal scan gender is a cage it's a construct <laughs> no um, but it you know i yeah, mean it's it massively is. problematic because gender is a construct and there's a wealth of evidence from like psychology neuroscience i could go on and on that mm. gender is something that we have invented as a human race. And I'm sure lots of people would like to argue with me. And that's But you can't because it, there's no right yeah, to reply. I've got the floor now. <laughs> Roshi, I need to pee. So um, no, all I will say is that it's m- massive expense. If you even I did a assignment as part of my master's on this. If you even search in YouTube, like the extremes that people are now going to yes. is Guns Insane. and glitter. Guns and glitter, um footballs and tiaras, um oh it goes on and on. B- ballerinas and uh, some cowboy Basketball. thing or you know, like it's just like yeah. the fact that we're saying our our individual genders can only subscribe to certain whole swathes of things in life from before you have even taken your first breath in this mm-hmm. world is so problematic. Um and I suppose the other thing now is that people are actually dying at these parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. There's now been like over five reported deaths from gender reveal parties from in like the America. Shock? No. Um, so like they've had like, you know, confetti cannons that have actually shot people. Oh my God. Um, and someone did sky riding with a plane and it crashed and killed a woman at the <gasps> party. Um, yeah, it's really not great. So. But this is like, this just comes back to the whole social media yeah you know well, yeah this, it's like pregnancy and birth as performative yeah like who is that for and why do you feel that you have to do it yeah, yeah. like your baby is going to be male or female and either are wonderful obviously sometimes your baby is male and female yeah maybe your baby is born male and then identifies as female when it grows up it's a lot of effort and expense and mm. kind of stereotype to subscribe to yeah. for something that maybe isn't necessarily that important mm-hmm. but 
I'm not, you know, you do but you. To any friends listening, um, if you'd like to invite <laughs> myself, Roisin or Tara to your gender reveal party, we would have. No, I don't want to sound judgmental. No, I know. But I think people really should hard. be going yeah. into these things knowing in I think when we give us what's yeah. going on, what, like what's really behind them. Yeah. I and I think sometimes agree. we just, it's like, I suppose it's a bit like Halloween, a bit like Christmas. Like we're just buying into all this kind of Americanized, capitalized yeah. things and it's yeah. just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you have to wonder where it ends mm. and why you're, why are you doing it? If it's really important to you, obviously go ahead and enjoy that celebration. There's nothing wrong with celebration. Mm. It's a really important part of human experience. Yeah. But yeah. someone has also taken 115 euro of your money for that. 25 Plus for the 25 for balloon. Yeah. <laughs> Do they feel like, do they have a helium canister in the room? They do a thing, yeah. So obviously they have the balloons and then, you know, because for some people you, the old fashioned way used to be the sonographer writes down yeah. boy or girl, yeah. gives it to a trusted person that's with you or you and then on in the an day. Envelope. Yeah. Or else your friend used to bake the pink or the blue cake. Yeah. But now it's obviously gone next level. 2019. Like, wow. you know. Rifle target practice where you shoot at like paint filled balloons and it explodes everywhere okay probably the worst one I've ever seen was on YouTube where a couple kept removing a nappy off of a doll so it was a doll that had like 50 nappies on it okay and they were pulling the nappies off and off and off and at the end the nappy opens and this baby doll I'm not (laughs) joking you girls had a penis the size of my forearm (laughs) that flopped out of the nappy Oh, that Jesus. was their fucking gender reveal. It was obscene. In the middle of a restaurant <laughs> as well. <laughs> they are very entertaining to watch on YouTube. I'll give them all so that. So if anyone has any uh, gender reveal story, gender reveal party stories, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. We can keep them anonymous if you feel that's we we'll keep them anonymous. My rant is over. Tara, do you want to go to the bathroom? I might sneak out. I'll okay. Let you, I'll let you pause? buy. Why don't we just press pause for a moment? Let's press pause. Okay, so just two more, um, two more things which take place during the second trimester. So um, there is RADUP or or ADDP. So it's uh, routine anti D antenatal uh, prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. And well done. Yeah, I was kind of <laughs> like, I think I actually my acronym is incorrect on my page, but anyway. Um, so. We would have spoken about this at your booking visit. Your blood group is determined. So approximately um, the figures I was finding were ranging between 15 to 20 percent. I think we say approximately 20 percent of um, of women in Ireland that we would test will be rhesus negative. Um, so your baby's blood group is unknown. So during the pregnancy. So if it's your first pregnancy, I it's kind of hard to talk about. It's very Anti-D, complex. Yeah, it's, it's very, very complex. complex. So this yeah. is the really, really basic, simplified, quick version. Um, if your baby is rhesus positive, you're rhesus negative. If there is any bleeding, if there's any abdominal trauma in pregnancy, that can cause a potential mixing of your blood with the baby's blood. Nothing will really happen for that first pregnancy. 
but your body will kind of observe these rhesus positive cells mm. as being a foreign body and they will develop antibodies against them. If you go on and have a subsequent pregnancy and that baby is also rhesus positive, your um, those cells, those antibody cells will then essentially attack the yeah. baby cells and it can lead to problems such as anemia and other kind of much more serious complications. Mm. So due to this, there's lots of things that we do to prevent this. Um, namely, anytime you have any bleeding or any trauma, abdominal trauma, any binds to your abdomen, when you're pregnant over 11 weeks, we will administer an anti-D injection to kind of mop up those antibodies. Mm -hmm. Once you've had the baby, we will then test your baby's blood group. And if your baby's rhesus negative, we don't do anything. If your baby's rhesus positive, you will get anti-D. So routinely at 28 weeks, best practice recommends that women get a um, prophylactic dose of anti-D just in case there's been any mixing it kind of covers you in case there's any little things that yep. the evidence kind of shows it's safer to, it's mop, safer to, to, do to it. give a prophylactic dose and mop up anything that might potentially be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is best practice. We've had a discussion among ourselves. We are not 100% sure if it's in all units, but it is something, again, if you're rhesus negative, that you should be asking about at your booking visit. Will I be getting, yeah. you know, once you find out with your blood group, will I be getting this? Um Another test that we can do, again, we would have talked about this previously, um, at your booking, you would have been identified as having certain risk factors. So one of the big things, which is becoming quite routine Mm. now, a lot more women get it, is your glucose tolerance test. So this is the test to see if you have gestational diabetes. So that's done at around 28 weeks. Um, You come in fasting from the night before, you be given... It's now seven up to drink in our uh, hospital. Where I work, they use a solution. It's like a, a glucose, solution. glucose solution. Yeah, it's like a Capri Sun. Tastes Ooh. like a Capri Sun, Ooh. but sweeter. Yeah. But yeah, we so, use seven up for other things now instead of Leucoside. Yeah, we it's used to they use Leucoside. It's because they changed the carb uh, content of Leucoside. So that's why Leucoside lost it can't be time. It can't be used anymore for medical purposes, medicinal purposes. But if Leucoside are listening and they want to get back in touch about a rebrand... <laughs> Just give us a shout. Hashtag Spawn. So you will come in, you'll be fasting, you'll drink the magic sugary potion and then you'll have a series of blood tests um, which will then determine whether or not you require more specialist care if you have gestational diabetes. If you have gestational diabetes um, in one pregnancy, it's treated in all subsequent pregnancies as if you have it. So that's... You know, once yeah, you, you have it, more you have it in pregnancy. But you yeah. have to do your glucose tolerance test each pregnancy. Yes, yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, I think that the glucose tolerance test will come in as standard for yeah, everybody here. I think, so. I think it is in the States. It, it is. Not? And it is, I think, in Eastern Europe. I think it is in the UK. Okay. Um, is it really in the UK? And I think in Australia as well. Interesting. So I would, I imagine, I mean... I w- like uh, we must be over 50% of our women at a point where so over 50% many. of our women are having it done so I wouldn't be surprised if we were going to bring and it And I in. suppose like the evidence behind that would be that having gestational diabetes is a risk factor in your ongoing pregnancy yeah. and com- like comes with additional monitoring for you and for your baby in mm. order to maintain healthy well pregnancy Yeah, and yeah. so that probably the the benefit of testing everyone 
negates kind of the risk for those people for that those might people be missed. That might have, yeah, mightn't have been captured. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Great, thank okay. you. Okay, over to you. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the third trimester. So this is the last trimester, thankfully. Three. Well, actually, there's four. Well, do you with mean your baby with baby in, in inside your body? And um, this is, again, like <clears throat> you'll find millions of different definitions and categorizations on the internet roughly speaking weeks 29 to 40 and obviously then if you're going over your due date up to potentially 42 in some places nowhere in ireland 43 weeks no um i think very very few places you'd be free birthing in um, ireland certainly with pri- under private uh mid free care in ireland mm-hmm. they will cover you um, one particular Group company as provider. far as I know co- oh, provider okay. will cover you up to f- my friend had a home birth and she was closer to the 43 mark yeah okay so but again that's done in rare kind of done in rare cases and it's done in kind of individual consultation yeah yeah so for people who are counting months it would be your months seven eight and nine um, is your third trimester um, things to kind of look out for in your third trimester the position of your baby becomes really important and whether your baby is head down or not mm-hmm. um, because you're preparing for your mode of delivery and um, so obviously if you're planning to have a vaginal birth you want your baby to be coming head first um, so your midwife or doctor will be checking your baby's position at every um, antenatal appointment that you attend um, and certain interventions can be offered if your baby isn't in the correct position um, and obviously then if your baby doesn't turn to be head down it's unlikely that you would have a vaginal delivery um in ireland certainly not on your first yeah i have met a very small number of women who are very vocal about their desire for a vaginal birth yeah of a breech baby and provided that their breech baby is in the right position the right breech position yeah you so know, it's very it's, nuanced. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. And again, mm. case by case, like everything. Yeah, no two and I suppose it's worth same. it's worth yeah. asking the question. Yeah, if you're really really keen to have a vaginal yeah breech birth, but I, uh, but highly unlikely on a first. Yes. Um, and in that instance, then you would be discussing with your healthcare provider to have a planned cesarean section. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, most people start their maternity leave in their third trimester. Mm-hmm. Usually, like my experience would be people kind of save up some holidays and they finish working at around 34 35 36 weeks pregnant Mm -hmm. obviously some people prefer to work as close to i think the statutory requirement is that you finish um working where you commence your maternity leave two weeks before your due date yeah 38 is the cutoff the week yeah, yeah the week you turn 38 weeks um so sleeping starts to become difficult just due to kind of weight of your pregnancy and Mm. comfortableness of your bump and that kind of thing um so it's important to try and rest as much as you can in your third trimester you can start to feel tired um just with you know the ongoing pregnancy and your body getting a little bit tired um well, when does that end, Roshi? When does that end? Well, now you have a responsibility for a human for a minimum 18 years, so never. <laughs> never. I'm still waiting. To be taken to that. I was going to say that spa in the sky, but actually that's... Oh, that was wow. Like, wow. Okay. Okay. You're going to be tired till you die, Tara. Yes. That big old spa <laughs> from the sky. 
Um, I just wanted to include a little bit of evidence research here um, about sleeping in your third trimester, particularly, and the importance of sleeping on your side. Um, so it's there's been a lot of back and forth in advice about sleeping on your side or not over the years but um there's a real um strength of evidence now um in kind of big research studies that show that sleeping on your back in your third trimester is linked to um stillbirths compared to women who do not routinely sleep on their back mm. and this isn't to scare anybody who is finding themselves sleeping on their back and um, i suppose it's just to be mindful of it and to try as much as you can to sleep predominantly on your left hand side um, and the reason behind that being that the weight of the baby and your growing uterus puts pressure on one of your um, blood vessels that supplies blood supply um, and then can compress it and limit oxygen mm. to the baby um, but obviously if you wake up in the middle of the night and you find yourself on your back not mm-hmm. to panic just to reposition yourself if you're finding it really difficult to sleep on your left side which is preferable it is okay to also sleep on your right hand side yeah. and we would also say if you really can't get comfortable sleeping on like directly on a side mm. is to wedge a pillow underneath one side of your body so that your back you're slightly even tilted in your sleep to improve that blood uh, flow yeah um i'd recommend um there's a really good kind of succinct um description of why this is important um on the tommy's website which we've linked in show notes before but i'll link the particular um segment here again so it just talks about the importance of sleeping on your side and really um kind of competently explains the evidence so that you have Mm. it in your own knowledge yeah they produce fantastic posters like very clear very concise i agree um posters yeah really really very clear presentation of the evidence so we would also then say um to try and stay as active and as healthy as possible um and obviously with activity, we would just say that provided that your healthcare provider has said that it's okay, um, which it should be if you're having a relatively normal, healthy, ongoing pregnancy. There's no reason why you can't exercise, walking, yoga, whatever. Remember, remember when we were studying for our finals? <laughs> I literally <laughs> was thinking about this I think earlier. about it every day. And we were Googling, we were like talking about what to We'd do. We'd maybe gone a little bit demented <laughs> yeah. from studying in the library. And we were Googling, was horse riding safe in pregnancy for far too long of a time? We spent around an hour and a half. I don't, it's like, I don't really know much about diabetes, but like, let me talk to you about horse riding in pregnancy. Funnily enough, I didn't put it in any of my exam answers. That's funny, yeah. Mm. You didn't end up using it. Uh, Like, I mean, the big thing, I guess, with exercise in pregnancy is if you were doing it before, you know, it's okay to carry on. For, yes. pre- for pretty much for pretty much for, everything yeah yeah i mean yeah. probably you like feel well and you feel safe like can you horse ride world pregnancy? championship level weightlifting probably ain't so great listen i know i know at some, nine months pregnant i know some crossfitters who were in there at 41 yeah. weeks fair enough and that's fair because folks. that's what they like to do that's what they feel good doing yeah they're not pushing themselves beyond what they think they can do they feel good and they're just going with it you know yeah and then equally I mean I was moving from couch to bed and maybe with a bit of swimming yeah you do have to to third trimester it's really important to listen to your body and to do what's right for you 
Yeah. I mean, there's no point in deciding at 29 weeks pregnant that you want to join the cross down the road. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to pan out well for you, I yeah. don't think. I'm going to do my first competition at 39 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose what we would say is trying to stay a little bit active walking, like you know, normal levels of exercise are really good for you in pregnancy and help you to prepare um, for your labour and yeah. also like kind of stand to you in your recovery period afterwards. Absolutely. Um, because some symptoms that you will be experiencing and that can get a little bit worse in third trimester um, is kind of back pain. So being a little bit more active can help this back strain. It's just due to, as Amy was saying earlier about the second trimester, kind of the loosening of all of your muscles and ligaments. Um, and then obviously the growing weight um, of your little baba. On that, the average kind of size for your baby at the end of your third trimester, so at your 40 weeks, would be in and around the seven pound range or the mm. three kilo range. Um, but at your visits, your midwife will alert you if they feel that your baby is a little bit smaller than the average or a little bit bigger than the average. And they will refer you um, for more yeah. assessments with an obstetrician if they think that your baby is much, much smaller or much, much bigger by their assessments. Um and that's not to say that there's anything necessarily wrong. You might just have a smaller than average or a bigger than average baby, but it's just important for us to know that there isn't anything additional going on with your baby's growth. Yeah, or the or the, the fluid volume. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we would get you to look out for in the third trimester is swelling around your ankles, feet and face um, and hands. Um, and it could just generally be fluid retention um, mm. and kind of heat and that. Um, but we would probably advise you to get it checked out if you have a sudden severe onset of swelling, particularly around your hands, feet and face. Um, or if that's associated with like a high blood pressure reading with your GP or in your mm. clinic, we'll take it quite seriously because um, we're monitoring you for preeclampsia in that instance. Um, as Amy said, there's kind of generally quick and easy fixes for a lot of the things that are niggling away at you in your third trimester. Um, but one of the biggest things we would say is balance that activity and kind of the busyness of your life with putting your feet up at the end of the day and really mm -hmm. taking care of yourself. Um, things that would be really important to watch out for in your third trimester and that you should attend... Um, your, the unit that you're going to be having your baby in or see your midwife if you're having say a home birth or whatever um, would be severe abdominal pain um, bleeding, leaking of the amniotic fluid from around baby and it's important to know that not every person experiences that kind of Hollywood mm -hmm. waters mm -hmm. breaking moment sometimes you could just wake up and your pyjamas or your underwear could be a little bit damp and you change them and you notice that they're damp again a little while later um, we would just say to pay attention to that and if you think that your waters are leaking to come in and have that checked out and mm. um, obviously as Amy highlighted with fetal movements if you're experiencing a change in your pattern of movements um, or less movements from your baby you should get checked out and then just to keep an eye on your general health as well so anything unusual to you you should mention to your midwife so like the swelling headaches breathlessness um, itch or rash especially on your hands or your feet and I would always advise people just to keep an eye on your emotional well-being because there's a lot going on with your body a lot changing and there's a massive life event coming up that you have to kind of emotionally prepare yourself for as well yeah. so if you're starting to have kind of thoughts that are unusual to you negative thoughts or feeling overwhelmed um, 
or unhappy um it's important to link in with your midwife who can hopefully refer you on to a mental health specialist and get you really good supports in place before you have your baby so that when you come to that big significant event you already have all of those things there that you need yeah um, in terms of your antenatal care in the third trimester I was looking this up and I wasn't sure exactly when but people will be checking in with you I think throughout your second and third trimester if you've had your flu vaccine and you're whooping whoop, whooping whooping whooping, whooping, whooping cough. Yeah. <laughs> vaccine um, yeah. which we would obviously advocate for as they're really important oh, yeah, they I never are. said that whooping cough after 16 weeks yeah however worth noting GPs charge an administration fee for those. So we're telling everyone to get these vaccinations done. It is a national, uh, there's a national drive on it. Um, But even women who have a medical care. Yes, you should get everything Mm. under maternity and infant care. That is what you would imagine is the case. GPs (laughs) charge 30 euro (gasps) per vaccination. To That's give. terrible. So if you're out there, if you're somebody who, um, you know, has their finances are tight, mm. you're not going to be able to spare that 60 euro when you're thinking that there's another no. human coming into my life. Um, and I, like to me, it's a huge issue. And I think it's really, really, really unfair um, yeah. that women are being charged mm. this because we're telling them, oh, did you go to your GP? Did you go to your GP? Did you get it done? Did you go? Did you go and get it done? And it was only when I was um, running the midwife's clinic and then women said to me, when my GP charges and I can't afford it. And they're not offering them, it's certainly not in the hospital that I work in. Surely like a uh, GP know? would use a bit of cop on and be like, but they're all you going can't it. afford it. You need it more than I Maybe need the 60 quid. Maybe if you're a GP listening to this, we, we have several GP fans. We do. Hi. Get in touch with us. Do you charge explain. women for vaccines? And explain yeah. their explain the rationale. The administration. And is, and is there another option for people? Um, that is yeah. really good. I didn't actually realise that, which I feel very bad about because we just kind of kind constantly of, ask women yeah. if have you had your vaccination? And kind of make them feel bad about it. <laughs> like Sorry, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just it is it is worth bearing in mind and it is something that we should be doing better for the population. Yeah. So there you go, rant there you over. Go. Um, so the other thing in your antenatal care that you should expect and should be planning is to um, go to your antenatal classes, which Tara's going to go into in a little bit more depth very shortly. Um, typically, your visits for antenatal care in your third trimester happen at 28 weeks. So that's your like you're on the cusp of your second and third there some units will do two weekly appointments there some people will jump from 28 to 32 Mm. so don't panic really that kind of 30 week visit isn't hugely important as in like yeah or if you get a 32 week appointment as opposed to a 30 week you could go to your GP then you alternate in yeah, between so yeah. you're, you're generally alternating every two weeks so with your for GP women who are doing and combined your, and your care unit, yeah. um, so you should generally be getting a two week appointment between your obstetric unit and your GP or your midwife and your GP um, from 28 weeks onwards and then from 36 weeks you're going every week mm-hmm. until you deliver mm-hmm. um, at your 30 I what I see generally from uh, women's uh, notes in hospital is that at their 39 week appointment, if they're attending uh, purely midwifery led care attached to an obstetric unit, that at their 39 week appointment, they're then referred in to attend for their 40 week appointment With in the, the obstetric unit mm. for an assessment 
to plan potentially mm-hmm. for an induction of labour mm-hmm. around 41 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to anticipate that if you've had midwifery-led care throughout your pregnancy that you may then be going in to see an obstetrician mm-hmm. for that appointment at your yeah. um, 40-week appointment. What you're expecting um, your midwife or doctor to do at each appointment is to ask you for a urine sample, do a blood pressure check, um, palpate your stomach, so feel your um, bump to check for the size of it, the position of your baby, um, and to feel how much fluid is around your baby. They will then use the information that they've gotten from that palpation to listen to your baby's heartbeat Um and to check on baby's well-being in that way um sometimes i suppose what i notice if women are attending the obstetric clinic mm-hmm. they're tending to get a scan at every appointment yeah. instead of a listening yeah um i'm not gonna say too much about what i think about that um but just suffice to say that a, a palpation and listening into your baby's heartbeat is sufficient to ensure your baby's well-being like we can get mm. enough information from that absolutely so not to feel like something hasn't been done for you if you're not getting a scan at every yeah, appointment because they're not, not deta- required it's not a de- and it's not a detailed no, it's, scan they're literally just be. using the scanning machine to check that the baby's heartbeat yeah. is there is and well yeah. whereas we can listen to that with other devices without requiring a full scan and that a w- person's own assessment of the movements yes is, is more reassuring. very essential yeah. and you can anticipate that at every kind of um visit you'll get a little bit of information and education from your midwife or your doctor about what to expect in the coming weeks Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll be encouraging you then to sort of prepare for your labour and delivery Um, just a couple of things to draw your attention to for information for third trimester which we'll link in the show notes would be obviously the HSE um, that goes through week by week Um, Tommy's website is really good week by week and the NHS and then I will link as well in the show notes the do you guys say niece or nice? Nice. I nice. say niece guidelines. So, nice. yeah. I, I think in the UK they say nice. Yeah, I think it is. For for yeah. a long time, I'll admit, nice. I thought that it was a conference that happened in Nice, France. Okay. <coughs> Excuse um, me. So. Well, what it stands for. I like a niece biscuit, Amy. That's what <laughs> makes me think of. Is the National Institute of Healthcare and um, for Health and Care Excellence. Um, obviously, uh, the... It's an institution that publishes guidelines for health and care excellence um, in the UK. But we kind of would look to adhere for minimum kind of standards of what should be happening Mm -hmm. in care. Um, And they just provide a really good clinical guideline on antenatal care for uncomplicated pregnancies. So there's loads of information in there of what to expect for your antenatal care during your second and third trimester. Yeah. Um, is there anything else I have to tell you about third trimester? Um, fetal development kind of follows the same track as second trimester. Um, a lot of the heavy lifting is already done. It's about kind of fine tuning really small things and growing and putting on weight. Mm-hmm. Um, Laying and then obviously down the fat the, stores. Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously just turning, <coughs> excuse me, um, into position for delivery. Yeah. Spinningbabies.com. <laughs> is an excellent um, place to get information about optimal fetal positioning so preparing um, your baby's position before birth before labour and before birth and um, yeah they say baby's job is to rotate mom's job is to dilate Oh, that's another catchphrase. Are you getting catchphrase? Do you just search for birth-related catchphrases? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm actually bringing out a series of motivational cards Mm -hmm. um, for for midwives. For midwives with all the catchphrases on them, Um, and you can purchase those directly from me uh, when we one day do a live show. Yeah. When's that going to be, guys? Twenty twenty. Cool. 
one. We've said 20, it now. 21. No, we've said it now. We've said it now. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So Tara, um, if you'd like to uh, regale us <laughs> with the tale of um, antenatal glasses. Great. great. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet because this is becoming a, um, a bumper, <laughs> um, a bumper edition uh, once again. Um, but um, basically the all the units offer um, antenatal education. So it takes a slightly different form, although there are uh, national guidelines being being finalised. Like there, it takes a slightly different form everywhere at the moment. It will be standardised um, at some stage. Um, and actually, one of the big things to note is um, you are entitled to time off work to attend your antenatal um, preparation, your birth preparation, um, and preparation for parenthood. Is your partner? I I don't know a hundred percent, but I think that they are. But they should be. I mean, like, they should be. Yeah. yeah. But, I was just thinking so that tricky. earlier when we were preparing. It's so I was tricky. Like, that must be such a barrier for people. Like even yeah. just to get time off yeah. for your partner's visits yeah. must be really difficult. And obviously, like your partner wants to be with you. Yeah. Every time you're going to find out how well you and your baby are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's tough. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes they do. They do. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes you don't want them there. No, I'm joking. Um, everything is amazing in my marriage. Hi, <laughs> I love you, love you. XOXO. Love you. Um, sorry, we're, I feel like we're off the rails today. All right, okay. So your antenatal classes in a, in each unit they take a different form. So in some places they will do five one hour sessions, say like five Tuesdays in a row. Um, in other places they'll do three one and a half hour sessions, say three you know whatever three Wednesdays in a row. Um, I know certainly in my unit and I think in the place that you guys work there is a there's like an all day workshop that can mm. be done um on a Saturday. So this that's kind of like a a, a whistle stop tour through your antenatal um, <laughs> education. <laughs> and so, <laughs> A whistle stop tour, if you will. It is a whistle stop tour. <laughs> Razzmatazz tour of your antenatal care. Where they cover antenatal wellbeing, preparation for birth and then preparation for early parenthood. Um, and choo, choo. Uh, other places uh, then will offer um, feeding specific uh, preparation. So, you know, pre- preparing for, for breastfeeding. Um and then um, in other units, then the physios will offer uh, classes as well um, for, you know, kind of keeping active um, in pregnancy. And um, and then there is a whole world out there. So we were talking about the uh, sex reveal scans earlier. There's also a whole uh, world out there of private. Can I actually will I do I read our dear Fanny question? Yeah, this th- is actually about... perfect. Okay. This is the perfect time. Um, dear Fanny, I work in a job which doesn't allow me much freedom to take days off, so I'm struggling to be able to make it to my hospital's uh, scheduled antenatal classes. I'm thinking about going privately. Is it better to stick to the hospital classes or would I be okay to go private? What do you think? Which is best? Okay, so yeah, question. That, that actually is. That is perfect. Um, what I would say to them is, first of all, contact the parent ed department in the hospital and see is there anything that they can do? So, um, you know, can they put them on maybe a waiting list for for a Saturday workshop? Is there a possibility that they could be squeezed into um, 
you know, one in a different location. Where I work, there are Saturday workshops that go on in three locations a few times a month. So, you know, it might be that the kind of initial quote unquote mainstream one is not available, but maybe it's available in another location. Um, Or is there a possibility of getting like a one on one with somebody, you know, for for two hours? If you did one on one with the with the a person from the parent ed department, they'll get through so much that mm. they have to cover with, you know, 10 or 12 or 14 other couples on a Saturday, because yeah. obviously that it all takes a bit longer when, when you're doing it like that. Um, so give them a shout. They will try to facilitate you as best um, as they can. Um, but also remind your employer that you are entitled to that time off as awkward as it is mm. or as awkward as it may be. And that really they should be trying to um, allow you out for that um that time um so yeah like i was just starting to say there is a whole world out there of private um antenatal classes and the the quality uh, varies hugely so an organization like quidu run classes and their teachers um are really vi- rigorously um trained so they are yeah. really they're evidence-based they're kind are, of accredited aren't they absolutely yeah yeah um they're really really well run, uh, well thought out, evidence based classes and would definitely be worth um, going to. Then there are midwives who run private antenatal classes. Um, And I suppose when you're researching into those, you want to know, is the midwife currently working in the Irish maternity system somewhere or, you know, are they going to provide current Mm. um, evidence and provide you with information on the about the experience that you will you will get when you go in mm-hmm. um, or did they leave the Irish maternity system 20 years ago and are they still giving the same information because that can be the case um, it is unregulated in that anybody can walk off the street advertise themselves as doing antenatal yeah. classes yeah. get a room of you know pregnant couples together and charge whatever they want and charge whatever they want so you know it is worth looking into don't just hand over your money to somebody that says that they're doing antenatal classes um it is very understandable that lots of people are doing private ones because of the time constraints um but do do look into it and get Um, recommendations yeah from yeah from from people you know or online online reviews um and uh, yeah, so definitely worth looking into. Um, I definitely think it's worth going along um, to the antenatal classes um, and doing them. And a lot of people will meet um, other pregnant people at similar gestations. You know, you get friendly and you start chatting. And you know, if you're all attending the same place, chances are you li- you know you know mm. you live you live near enough or you live close enough to each other. So it's nice to kind of get that kind of pregnancy pal. Um, that social element of it as well Um, and I guess in particular if you're going to the hospital ones like they will tell you um, not only the kind of evidence but they'll also tell you what happens in the unit that you're attending you know Um, and kind of prep you for what questions to ask and when and that kind of thing Um, so um, so yeah Um, is that that's very good. Is there that's very else? comprehensive. No, no, yeah. That's perfect. Um, I was going to talk about kind of when to pack the bag and what to pack. Um, but again, you can get lists, like recommended lists kind of online. The hospitals all give them as well. Yeah. They do, yeah. yeah. But the biggest thing that I would say is 
pack a small bag for your labour, like a, like the size of a Amy, your laptop bag. <laughs> is it? Is it a small television? I have a nineteen-inch screen laptop. So, and I hear about it every time I come here. Pack it, pack it like a gym bag, you know, that you can carry in one hand, like a sports bag that you can carry in one hand for your labour bag. And then think Ryanair carry-on luggage for your yeah. your postnatal bag. Try and keep it small. You can send stuff home. People can bring some more stuff into you. Really what you need is stuff for you and the baby for 24 hours and then you reassess and see what you need and people can bring stuff in and, and take stuff home. Even if you're in a single private room in the hospital, there's not heaps of space. No. No. So, you know, you don't want to be falling over your suitcase and certainly your midwife, if she's coming in, giving you a hand, taking the baby out of the cot and handing you the baby or whatever is going on, they don't want to have to be climbing over. Yeah, it was actually really worrying. My I was on night shifts last weekend, and a woman had like bags and suitcases the entire way down both sides of her bed. Yeah, and I had to go out and say, "You need to." I'm really sorry. You have to move some of that stuff. If we had an emergency with you or your baby, we can't actually access you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just to be conscious of it. Just to be conscious of it. And like to be honest, it'll drive you mad when you're in the hospital. Like you don't need all no. of that yeah. stuff. And you the other thing to find stuff that I always yeah. say is keep your lovely baby blankets at home. The HSE are giving them out for free in the hospital baby blankets that mm. keep your baby just and as so warm. Easy and you get your get lovely things the then at home when your baby yeah. has been introduced to all of your family and you're taking your proper pictures and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. Leave the one the hospital ones to be the ones that they poo and pee and vom all over in the first few days. Absolutely, yeah, because it is going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, everything with me comes back to food. So I definitely would always recommend that women have a snack bag in their bag, both for labour and postnatal. Um, but maybe I'll do a segment on that in our in our labour episode. Yeah, snacks. Yeah, appropriate snacks for labour. I think I'll do. I love a snack. Yeah. I'm a snack really segment. looking forward to that segment. <laughs> Could you actually bring along the snacks that you recommend? I'll do that. Oh my god, I'd love that. I would love that. that. I'll bring some snacks. Like Thank good you. ones, Tara. Yeah, not just. I don't like pecans, um, okay? Whatever. I don't want like a bag of pecans. I why? Want... All right. Today I brought pretzel flips. Are they not good? They're oh, they're not you free. can't have them. Sorry. Okay. All right. People don't need to hear this argument. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then the other thing that I just um, got a little bit of information on um, was just some books. You know, people... Um, pregnant people particularly in your first pregnancy are uh, a demographic that when business people think Mm. of them they just see dollar signs so there are any number of books out there that you could get so I just had a really quick kind of a look around and a a think about a few different books Um, so one that we all know of is what to expect when you're expecting Um, huh sorry not a fan no, 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 no. Yeah, no. So, sorry, this is where I was going with it. First came out in 1984. Um, it is still popular today, but it's not one that I would ever recommend. Recommend. No. no. My sister was given it from her, kind of her in-law's side. Her husband mm-hmm. is American. Y- yeah. And it would be like their big go-to book yeah, in yeah. the States. Yes. The Bible, it's very it? American. Yeah. yeah. It was made into um, an ensemble cast movie in... 2012. It's actually, I did quite enjoy that movie. Really? Yeah, I did. Oh, it was I awful, did. Tara. Oh, it was cheesy, like fun. Anyway, okay. Um, an, an insight into Tara's taste in films. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ina May's Guide to uh, Childbirth. Yeah. Ina May Gaskin. Now, Ina May has come into some hot water in the last few years. She said some really um, unkind things and some very questionable things. But we cannot deny the positive impact that her 
work. So she's a midwife that has owned this farm in Tennessee for over 40 years. Um, and she is um, self-trained and she trained kind of under the guidance of a local uh, general pr- practitioner, basically herself and a few other women uh, on this farm and her husband, um, Stephen, isn't it? Her husband, Stephen, yeah, Stephen, yeah, passed away now, I think. Yeah, um, but her guide to childbirth has positively impacted on the work of midwives, um, and the birth experiences of women over the years. So, an amazing resource, we can't can't deny that, um, book in itself and what it has. Yeah, it has done. Um, so that is that is a good one. There is also an anime's guide to breastfeeding, I think, as well. Um, and then her one that. I think we've all read. Have we all read Spiritual, spiritual midwifery. midwifery? Yeah, which is a lovely book of. I was um, about to call it birth. the Spiritual Guide to Midwifery, but that's <laughs> yeah. something else. It's a book of birth stories, which is which is really nice as well. Um, there is, in terms of an Irish, the Irish perspective, there is the Irish Better Birth uh, book, which was released uh, by Tracy Donegan in 2014. Uh, so uh, Tracy involved in Gentle Birth Ireland. So. Um, that's a book about the Irish maternity services and how to navigate it. And the Irish pregnancy book uh, by Dr. Peter Boylan in oh. 2015. That was released as well. Um, again, about kind of navigating. Um, actually, to be honest, it's probably just about accepting active management. Um, <laughs> there is there is pretty good chapter, though, that... Um, I think we'd all kind of like that's about basically if your baby is coming and you're at home and you it, unexpectedly okay you know um, and what to do and he ba- he basically he says in it um, if your labour's progressing really fast and your baby's just going to come you're going to be okay the baby's going to come mm. out and everything will be fine and he and he basically is like get onto your kitchen floor get a few towels get the baby when the baby comes out put the baby skin to skin mm. you know and it's kind of like it's just kind of everything's okay it's not. Panic stations. Panic stations. Yeah, okay. which is which is good to know. Um, I bought one uh, which is called Bumpology, which is by a woman called Linda Geddes. So that's kind of like common questions that people have. I think she wrote for um, New Scientist magazine. So it was kind of um, people would write in kind of like her own Dear Fanny and then she would provide evidence-based responses. Cool. So it's kind of one that you can kind of pick up and put down. It's not in particular kind of chapters. Um, and then there are there is a plethora of books for expectant fathers um, out there any number of them um, with all sorts of hilarious names uh, I actually was involved in the production of an app at one point called uh, Who's Your Daddy uh, <laughs> I remember that Tara I, like. re- I recommended that to my friend's partner yeah I um, think like it's pretty yeah. good I think it's pretty good anyway so on what was, level were you involved um, so they were doing kind of daily and weekly use X weekly <laughs> prompts is that what it's called <laughs> huh? I don't even user know user experience okay sorry <laughs> I don't even know the- <laughs> Um, You're trying to get a job in IT. They were giving me, they they were asking me for information, basically. It was a guy guy I knew that that developed it. And they were giving kind of daily prompts to the person for their partner. And so he was looking for different things and like weekly prompts, like maybe she'd like to have acupuncture done. Maybe you should offer to cook her dinner. You know, like different, different kind of things like that. So anyway, there you go. Um... Then there are some activity books, so you can get one. Letters to my baby. The um, there's like day to day activity books, 
pregnancy journals. What? God, these wait. All right. Um, and then I found one called the Big Dear Baby, the Big Fat Activity Book for pregnant oh, people. Oh, that looks really good. Um, which looked really nice. Like yeah. the cover, the cover of it initially kind of I found really off-putting because it was it was basically looking from the pregnant person's perspective if they're lying flat on their back with their legs up in the air and oh. then there's loads of people standing in front of them oh, but yeah. it's, that's done like a colouring book kind of a page um, but basically it's an activity book so there's some kind of colouring book um, elements and well, then there's perfect. like yeah and then the, and then there's kind of like <laughs> list your top five pregnancy cravings and you know as you enter the third trimester today I am how many weeks and I feel like whatever and you know so there's kind of a few there's a few kind of different activities and it's a very reasonable price on um, a large uh, book uh, selling website <laughs> at the moment <laughs> um, so yeah I thought that was kind of that was kind of good and then um, you guys mentioned apps because uh, I was just gonna mm. go with that the only thing is like y- it's hard to know the quality of the information that's on the apps and with all you know with everything um don't trust dr google if you have a genuine real concern about something please contact your uh, maternity hospital amy i remember you taking one particular phone call a few years ago where somebody was quite concerned about nor cheese sauce nor, nor packet cheese sauce yeah. yeah um some things you can google yeah some things you can very clear. yeah yeah um you know where they phoned up this essential emergency service and oh, asked you if you like knew the specifics about calls. a cheese yeah. sauce um, but yeah as I say like some things is fine but you know if you have a real genuine pregnancy concern your midwife will happily take a phone call or they will answer your queries or questions at your next appointment um, and refer you appropriately but yeah equally you can you can look up a, a trusted a trusted um, service for something but um, so I think that's all and that kind of thing I'm looking forward to our next couple of episodes so yes go to antenatal classes get all your information absolutely um, and yeah but I'm, I am looking forward to kind of getting into the next few the next few kind of episodes we do labour and birth and that um, but Amy you have our feminist of the episode our feminist of the episode yeah <laughs> um, so it is Sheila Kitzinger so I don't actually know if we've talked about her much on the podcast um, but basically Sheila was an anthropologist and was known as the high priestess of natural childbirth so she died in 2015 um, she had a home she actually died at home um, at the age of 86 and she was basically kind of a pioneer and an advocate for a natural childbirth um, she was very much kind of into women having birth plans and mm. um, women being in control of what happened to them of their experiences and kind of actively rallied against the medicalization of childbirth um, she was very much into um kind of she campaigned for um, contraception and basically just kind of did so much. Um, yeah. she's was a kind deadly of, feminist. Basically yeah. was an amazing feminist and she's credited with changing um, people's views on childbirth and some people have said that there's kind of hasn't really been a significant person who made such a massive impact. So um, amazing, and she has it? written herself loads of books. She has yeah. that's like that that's really informative yeah. as well. Yeah. Really, really so she has a wealth of she's written over twenty books. Amazing. Um and is a very fascinating person and all of her everything that she says, I mean, is still Yeah. Relevant, remains yeah. relevant. 
So she is our feminist of the episode. <laughs> we hope that these will be Fortnite again soon. But <laughs> at the moment, we, we go just down a lie. We don't lie to I you. know. Um, is that it? Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that's yeah that's yeah yeah cool thank you everybody for listening now all our bits and bobs uh you can find us on instagram at boom yonic you can contact us yonic boom podcast at gmail.com and please follow us on our various broadcasting platforms rate review and subscribe on itunes tell your friends and um thank you to kev and steve our producers here in denmark studios see you again soon Bye. bye bye While we are medical professionals and we love answering your questions, this pod should never be used in place of a real-life consultation with a midwife or doctor. If you have a serious concern about your health or a medical emergency, please go to your GP or to a hospital.